Let us read responsively the litany of invitation and confession. We come to worship desiring to encounter the living God. We bring all of who we are, heart, mind, soul, and strength, to this experience of worship. Our reverence is expressed sometimes in silence, sometimes in song, sometimes through litanies, and sometimes through laughter. Our reverence attends to sacred friendships as well as sacred spaces. Like the disciples, we try to name our wants, but we also pray for God wants for what God wants for us. We confess that we do not always follow the Christ who has called us to live lives of service. We ask for God's forgiveness. We pause for a moment of silent confession. Sisters and brothers, God has forgiven us. God is generous in love and full of grace. In gratitude, let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God on this first Sunday that begins to feel like fall. Welcome as the seasons change and as our lives change and mature that we can be together in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. So welcome. Especially do we welcome those of you who are guests among us. There is on the edge of your order of service a welcome card, response card. If you'll take a moment, complete that, and drop it in the offering plate. Uh, That way I can help connect name and face with you and uh, welcome to you. Also, if any of you have a prayer request, feel free to place that on the card as well. It's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. You can drop that in the plate and we will do that. Speaking of prayers, I am grateful for your prayers for me. I had surgery about two weeks ago and am almost back, almost back at 100%. And maybe your prayers have gotten me this far. So I keep on praying and I'm grateful for you. As we experience worship today, one of the themes is service. In fact, the hymn dedication will be the servant song that we sing at times of deacon uh, uh, ordination. The the middle uh, uh, epistle lesson that Walter will read is about how God, uh, through Christ, intercedes for us. We have a high priest in heaven who understands what we're going through. The text that I will be using from the, uh, the gospel will be about James and John and their request to be the greatest. And yet Jesus says, be the servant. And then there's another question. It's the questions that Job puts to God. And after question after question, then finally God says, Job, it's time for me to ask you some questions. And puts in perspective the mystery of God. We will hear that text now even as we open our hearts to hear from the book. Welcome. The Old Testament character Job asks God many questions, but God does not provide an answer. Instead, God asks Job more questions. From these, Job gets a new perspective of his place in the world. A reading from the book of Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? 
Gird up your loins like a man, I will question you, and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning so that they may go and say to you, Here are we? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Here ends the first lesson. And will you join me in our morning prayer? God of sun, moon, and stars, of great whales and gentle lambs, and of this little group of followers gathered here in your house, we are grateful for your creativity and for that beckoning spirit that draws us here. As the early fall mornings bring welcome cool, we are glad for the season's change. We look forward to bursts of color that will soon decorate our corner of the world. But this season has also brought storms, hurricanes, and floods devastating to our neighbors. Lives have been lost and property destroyed. Many have seen the hard-won possessions of a lifetime washed away by raging waters. For those who have experienced such destruction, we pray. May they also experience caring in the generosity of neighbors and other organizations supplying immediate needs and supporting rebuilding and recovery. And give them comfort and courage that they may walk through these dark times assured of your presence and your help. Like Job, we all need reminding that the one who created us is still in charge and make us all mindful of our responsibility to care for this earth so that it is a welcoming place for our children and for generations to come. Help us to make hard choices to that end and forgive us for the selfishness that stands in our way. You have called us to be servants as well as stewards and to living together in love. You have provided the perfect example of how this is to be done in the life and death of your own son. We confess that we are quick to say yes, but slow to see and slower still to follow a path that seems strewn with obstacles and full of twists and turns, where the road and the destination often seem unclear. Give us eyes to see and hearts to follow the path of servanthood. We pray for members of our own congregation who have experienced losses in many forms. Heal the sick, comfort the grieving, and hold the hurting and fearful in your consoling arms. Thank you for loving us and hear us as we pray the prayer taught to us by our servant, Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus Christ is the perfect intercessor for us. Christ knows what we are going through. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf to offer gifts and sacrifices 
for sins. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as for those of the people. And one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he is heard because of his and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Here ends the second lesson. Children, if you would come forward at this time. Good morning. And if you could turn around and face me, we're going to do a little special skit this morning, a little play. If you can turn around and face me, you so you'll be able to see it, okay? And this play is about how to be a good helper. We're going to learn how to be a good helper today. Raise your hand if you've ever been a good helper before. That's roughly 30%, and that's, that's good. I'll take those odds. Well, maybe we can, by the end of this, we'll get to 100%, okay? Well, I want to tell you a story about a, a good helper, and it begins like this. One time there was a, a lady that was on her way from Jerusalem to Jericho, and she was just minding her own business, and she had a, a basket full of bread that she wanted to deliver to the hungry. And she was going up on the road, and no problems experienced, when all of a sudden a robber emerged. A robber came out and approached the lady and took the basket. <laughs> and, and, then, and then he attacked her. Ow, I'm going to punch you now. Punch! That kind of hurt me too. He looked through the basket. There was some delightful bread. Sold at Publix, I believe. Looked to the bottom and there, oh, this is what he was looking for. Whoppers, candy. I'll take that very much. Don't need the bread. He threw that over there. And then the lady was by herself. She was hurt. She was injured. And at about that time, a senior pastor emerged. And he was on his way to preach about the Good Samaritan to his congregation. Oh, I've got to get there. I'm running late. I've got to preach about the Good Should should he help her? Say yes. I, I'm sorry. I'm out of time. I got to preach on the Good Samaritan. Bye bye. He went on his way, and then in a few minutes, the associate pastor emerged with a hat that was too tiny for his head, and he was on his way to church and conference. There he went. Should should he help the lady? You know, this reminds me of a Bible story I read in seminary, but I've got to get it in church and conference. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've got to go. I've got to go. The associate pastor didn't help either. But, you know, finally, there was a Samaritan. And, you know, Samaritans were looked down upon by people. People didn't like them very much. And this Samaritan was on the road, and he saw the lady. Please, sir, can you help me? 
What's I, wrong? Oh, you have a boo-boo there, don't you? Okay. Yes. Yes. Hold on. I've got, I've got several of these. I've got some, some minion band-aids. Can, can, can some of you help me give her some band-aids? Come up here and help me. Give some band-aids. Anyone? Really, anyone. There we go. Can you give her a band-aid? Can, can you give her a band-aid, too? Can you give her a band-aid, please? Thank you. Who else? You want to give her a band-aid? Yeah, let's give her. Yeah, that's okay. And, and then the Samaritan, he gave her all the band-aids he had with the assistance of some, some children who were oddly on the road, too. And he said, hey, I found this, this basket of bread. Is this, does this belong to you? Oh, okay. Take that, please. And you know what? This was knitted for me by a prayer shawl group. Can I give this to you? You look like you're cold. Here, take that. Take that. Can I take you to the hospital? I think I got it from here, but you are my hero. Okay. Thank you for taking the time when everyone else was so busy. And thank you for finding other help for me. Oh, you're so welcome. Well, well, who, who who was the helper from that group? Who helped? Who? You guys helped. And the Samaritan helped. And God loves it when we help other people. Let that be our prayer. Amen. Come with me. Go ahead. Go with Mary Lou. Go ahead. In the Commonwealth of God, leadership is measured in service, a reading from the Gospel according to Mark. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them. 
and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's been a good day already, hasn't it? Of course, and if you work for Baptists, you have to do a little bit of everything. Be a playwright, a thespian, a director, player of handbells, and preacher. And so, the sermon title is entitled, The Ask. If you listen to a group of business persons talking, it won't be long before they bring up this topic. One of them will listen and then speak and say, now, exactly what is the ask? Then you'll hear another one in the the group say, so am, am I making the ask or are you making the ask? It's a phrase that I had not heard until about six years ago used as a standalone sentence. Are you making the ask? And in case you don't know, what an ask is, is a clear, specific, direct request. The ask. It's good for me that this has come along. I tend to think that metaphors and similes and analogies and nuances are remarkably clear. I'm often wrong about that. And so when the ask has come along, it's asked me to sharpen my pencil to a clear, specific, direct request. Today after lunch, following the presentation of the 2019 budget, I think the Finance Committee, chaired by uh, David Cook, will be making the ask. The ask will be to pledge. Now, there are some that will give more, there are some that will give less, but the ask is that all turn in a pledge. For one thing, it helps the anxiety of the Finance Committee go down. I'm all for that. But also, it gives us sacramentally an option and a moment to say, I'm in. Count me in. The pledge is the ask. Now, I don't know if James and John had much conversation before they got to Jesus in this story in the text. I don't know if they polished or or role-played their ask, or they just showed up and did it. But they get to Jesus, and they say, now, we want to do whatever, we want you to do whatever we want. Jesus says, why you want? And here it comes. We ask that we could sit at your right and left hand when you come into your glory. That is the ask. I admire them in a way. I appreciate their clarity, their directness. Uh, They ask it straightforwardly. Come to think of it, the Bible has a lot in it about asking, and much of it positive. For instance, you may be thinking of Matthew 21. text says, Whatever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Or 1 John 5, If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Or John 14, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Or Matthew 7, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. All of those are important asks in the New Testament. Each, though, requires a prayerful assumption, as in a connected congregation doing the asking. All of the plural, all of the pronouns are plural. Whatever you all ask 
ask it in my name. And so it would be something that a congregation would discern and tune its heart to. But those are other sermons. Today, let's stick with this text. And in this text, this ask seems negative. We want to ask that we sit at your right and left side when you come into into your glory, they ask. And remember what Jesus says? You don't understand what you are asking. Just imagine that. How deflating that could have been. How deflating of their elevator speech that they had so practiced. Gone through several rough drafts of the asks. Done surveys, whiteboarded in the corporate retreat. And here they present it and Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking for. He goes on to speak with them about two things, humility and service. That's a tip-off, I think, to what was wrong with their ask. They were not asking out of their heart's wholeness, but out of their soul's emptiness. Humility and service are the opposite of two empty pits. One is the need to feel secure. And the second is the need to feel special. Now, I know both of these needs very well. I hang out on their street corner all the time. In fact, I know the golden calf of security. Just think about my alarm systems, my backup systems, my fretfulness over my portfolio. We all have these. We all need these. But how much is needed to make me really feel secure. Best-selling New York York Times author Mark Nepo thinks that this unending quest for security is driven by a chronic insecurity. He says, the siring song of insecurity wears many disguises. That's the way it works. Hurry now only while supplies last. If you don't get a good seat, there won't be any left. Security and special. The need to feel special can be camouflaged by wanting to sit next to Jesus. Hmm. How special is that? Maybe no one will notice my need. The Wednesday group that meets and studies the text with Daniel and me uh, got all over this. They call these guys, James and John, silly arrogant, and the need to be special. I asked the Wednesday study group, well, how, how did they know this about them? And they said, well, the, the way the other ten responded to them in anger. I don't think I would have noticed the anger word if Daniel hadn't preached on it last week. All the other ten are angry at James and John. I asked the group, why do you think that is? And they said, because... They assume there's only two good seats in the house next to Jesus, and they deserved it as much as James and John did. They had beaten them to the punch, and they were angry. What does Jesus do? Well, he pulls the group together, gathers them around. I'm I'm guessing gather them in a circle, and rather go with the hierarchy of who sits next to me. I bet Jesus sat right in the middle so that all the disciples were equal distance on the common ground. He says, now, we don't want to be like the world rulers are, who lord power over us. And then he said, or like the tyrants who are even higher up on the pecking chain. Now, what Jesus was doing was referencing politics here. These are political terms and images. Even the word Lord, Jesus, is a reference from the coinage referring to Caesar. He's saying that in the political realm, there is a pecking order, and we are not going to be ordered by that. Theologian Walter Wink calls this the domination system. It's characterized by power over others and ranking as a principle of organization. In the domination system, to win, somebody has got to lose. The domination system, success requires the failure of somebody else. And security requires 
dominance. Now, now this, is, this is what we drink and breathe and have been born to and will die in. But Jesus is saying there's a parallel universe out there that doesn't operate by these systems that we hold sacrosanct about who's on first and what's on second and, you know, where the priorities are. It is a system of equality, one that is in resistance to the domination system, which Wink says the way of the cross is. Come to think of it, if the Apostle Paul is right, remember that text in 1 Corinthians 13, and we see through a glass darkly. We all affirm that, right? And we see through a glass darkly. Well, if we do, then maybe we also offer an ask darkly. That even our best requests of God, none have pure motive and all are not righteous reason. There is no preferred seating when it comes to the realm of God. We are all on common ground. Jesus called his disciples to this other world, this other way of living in the world that he was the leader of, that he was going to be the one to be the servant of all, even unto the death of a cross. You know the hymn. You know that liberation that sometimes helps you travel to the parallel universe, out of the domination system that we live in. The portal is called service, right? The feeling that you have when you have really been of self-giving service. And then you get called back into this old other world. But, for instance, you, you know what it's like to serve on uh, a nonprofit. A lot of us are on the boards, and these nonprofits, and sometimes there's that capital campaign, and we need to build the building, and we're working and working, and we're short of money. They send us back to the largest donors to make another request. And then, then finally, the day comes for the ribbon-cutting and we stand there with a large pair of scissors, and the cause is so that children might find available health care. And we snap that rhythm, and the weight of the ask is transformed by the service of the task. It could be when our ecology creation care group puts on those sexy hazmat uniforms and goes to the hooch and cleans up all the junk that's in it with the plastic bottles and the beer cans and the trash bags and packs up 800 pounds of trash. And there's something about the weight of the ask diminishes by the gift that the task of service gives. Some of you know what it's like to put on a Habitat nail apron on the hottest day of the year. There are older people, younger people. There are Methodists and Muslims. There are Buddhists and Baptists. And we're all building together a Habitat house. Some didn't know how to nail a nail when they started, but all knew how to wear a nail apron by the time we finished. We were soaked to the bone with our sweat. But we walked away and there was a floor There were walls, there was a roof, and the weight of the ask had been transformed by the service of the task. We felt so good. It's like when there was a death in the neighborhood and you you carried over that corningware bowl, the one that your mother had given given you. Matter of fact, the adhesive tape with her name is still on it. You carry over the chicken casserole, you feel the warmth, and smell the aroma coming up above the tin foil. You get there to the house, and the person receiving it cannot speak because of tears. And you cannot speak because of crying. But in the giving of the task, something is redeemed in the service. You know about that. The ask, the task, and the redemption that comes, thank God, through the gift of service. Amen.
is our tradition that when a word of challenge is given, an opportunity for dedication and invitation and service is also given. As we sing today, it'll be a song, as I mentioned, that we always sing on ordination Sundays. You might even remember the hands of the church as they were placed on your head, and they sang a song about the servant song. The first time I sang this song was in 1994, when I was pastoring in Washington, D.C. I had been invited to speak to a gay Catholic church that met in an Episcopal building off of DuPont Avenue in the district. I said, how many men will be there? And they said, oh, about 400. I went there and preached, and as I did, people came out and said, it was good to hear a Baptist sermon. And others said, I used to be a Baptist. Remember, this was 1994. But when we stood at the altar and received, as those men came forward to communion, the all-male choir sang this song to this tune. They sang it in unison until they got to the words, And we shall find such harmony and broke into three parts. And it was about that time my heart broke and broke open. Maybe yours. Let's stand together and sing. Each time we gather, we bring our concerns and celebrations and announcements, and I bring a few of those to you this morning. On the back of your order of worship is a lot of the information I'd like for you to know about. The church and conference uh, will meet directly after the worship service in our fellowship hall with lunch provided. And next Sunday, uh, from 5 to 6.30, we'll have trunk or treat. We need some people to help out volunteering in different areas Um, like parking attendant to make sure that the cars get where they need to be and bring in candy and and monitoring the bounce houses too. So if you'd like to do that, 
uh, please let me know. And we need you to bring your cars with your trunks decorated for the children with lots of candy. So we'd love to have you next Sunday. Turning now to uh, the prayer concerns in our community, uh, we pray for Corbin Bokhouse, who had um, back surgery this week and is recovering uh, very well. Um, and so there's good news. It was successful. We just uh, ask that you continue to pray for Corbin and Melissa and, and their family. For Bill and Stephanie Jones, uh, who are going through a very difficult time because Bill's cancer has recurred, we ask for prayers. We pray for Liz, Liz Harris-Lampkin, whose uncle Jack died, be buried this afternoon. She's in Asheville now. We lift up globally the victims of hurricanes internationally and here in our country as rebuilding continues, as well as the concerns that you bring that burden your heart this morning. It's been an up-and-down time, anxiety and grief, but now we have a time of praise uh, as our Northside Drive ringers help us continue the worship of God by the giving of our tithes and offerings.
God, we've been enriched by music, by handbells, by scripture, and by sermon. And we've been encouraged by holy fellowship. So we offer these gifts as tokens of our love. May they be used to build up the body of Christ, and may we be called to a life of service. In Christ's name, amen. Now hear this good word. And now to the one who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than you can ever ask or imagine. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.